Hello, I'm Jensen Beeler. And I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiasts Podcast. The Two Enthusiasts Podcast. The dewiest motorcycle podcast. Haven't you? You've already done a Mountain Dew, like, haven't you? Oh, I wasn't. Oh, it's because we're both drinking Mountain Dew. No. That's what you thought that was? You just thought it was because we it's hot and we're I'm sweating. fucking moist, Quentin. <laughs> oh, it no. is hot up in her. <laughs> this is swampy. It is swampy here in Portland. It's yeah. been like 128 degrees or something silly. Uh, I thought it was because I brought you Mountain Dew. Because every time I come over here, it's, it's the saddest thing in the world to see. Uh-huh. Jensen's fridge filled with Diet Coke and uh, what else do you? LaCroix. Oh, man, right? And everybody loves LaCroix. It's fucking horrible. And I'm going to straight you know up what? say it. I don't like it at all. Let's let's just stop the pretense. LaCroix, it's just seltzer water. It's just with, fucking with, hipster, uh, expensive seltzer water. I'd rather have straight water than whatever lame possible possible tastes that they put in there that really isn't it's just lemon like i could make it myself i don't know why i don't know why i'm buying cans of it i could just get some seltzer squeeze a little lemon it's interesting how fads like that come on i remember my mom having stuff like that when i was a kid i forget what it was called but right it was like some company made the stuff and it was just light enough low calories i get it I need some syrup, man. I need some, <laughs> some I need syrup? some high high fructose <laughs> corn syrup is what I need. So I brought uh Jensen uh Mountain Dew. So cheers, cheers to, to you, two Mountain Dews today. We needed high energy. We needed a high energy show because we have a lot of higher energy things to talk about. <sighs> mm. Delicious. Mm. Delicious nectar of the gods. Yeah, I discovered that um it's a lot easier to lose weight when you drink Mountain Dew. And I'm on Project Six Pack right now because this is just horsepower i'm wait, just wait, carrying around horsepower. when you're off mountain Dew. off mountain Dew. Oh, okay yeah i was about to say sure no like race day on the mountain Dew. need the little extra kick yeah need the little caffeine little sugar but i got um i'm on you know the shred diet <laughs> i'm gonna get ripped you're gonna shred some pounds there's at least 20 30 horsepower that i'm just carrying around right here yeah I'm gonna I get rid of. well no it's it's legit especially when i was racing the ninja 250 was the first thing i started thinking about is like you know what i could do a bunch of crap to this bike but I'd be better off if I just went and ran. Yeah, you need to get sponsored by like Team Tapeworm or something. <laughs> you know, I was 135, 140 pounds probably until I was like about 27 years old. I thought I had a tapeworm. I couldn't eat enough. My metabolism hadn't kicked in. I was so skinny for so long. Now I'm not, but I don't mind. I'd We've probably talked about it before. I'm happy in my... John McGinnis body. Yeah, right? Yeah. He can do it, then I can do if it. He right? can, if he can get away without exercising, the king of the mountain. Get away with it. It's funny. I just posted up a bunch of pictures of uh, of a recent ride I did out into Wyoming, Montana, Idaho to go do dealer visits. And I make a joke about my body doesn't need ABS abs and neither does my bike ABS because <laughs> I have this old Multistrada without it. So I just posted that up like, I don't know, two hours ago. Yeah. Screw ABS. Whether it's abs or abs or abs or uh, abs. Yeah. No, All right. So, what uh, we got going on other than our dew-filled extravaganza? Yeah, it'll be a, quite the caffeinated show. My, I'm a lightweight now. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best part. One bottle goes a long way. No, I had a friend that he he'd always drink Diet Mountain or Diet Coke, yeah. and this is back when we were in high school. I'm like, why? You know, he wasn't unfit, had no reason to do it. He's like, because anytime I get a real Coke, it tastes really good. And it's like, hmm, interesting. You gotta you gotta know the bitter there. to know the sweet, Quinn. Yeah. <laughs> You know, <laughs> it's all relative. Yeah, it, it's been a busy week, sir. Uh, I'm so still we got kind of, bitter and sweet. We're about to talk about some bitter and sweet here. I think it's all sweet. Okay, cool. No, maybe not. We're gonna talk about some Harley Davidson <laughs> shit. 
<laughs> I see what you did there. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, no, it's been a busy week. I've been covering uh, World Ducati Week, the Suzuka 8-Hour, and then I kind of came to the end of that, and I was like, oh, man, finally, Monday's kind of here, the weekend, the race weekend's done. I'm going to take today off and just kind of recharge. I'm super brain fried. I've been basically going 15 hours a day for almost 10 days straight. Did you already see it when I texted you or or sent you like, hey, have you seen this? Yeah. And then and then Harley Davidson's just like, hold my beer. I got I got like 12 bikes I got to release right now and ruin your Monday for you. Yeah. So yeah, Harley Davidson came up with a bunch of stuff. Uh, we want to talk Something about that. Something that they never do. They did. Yeah. All in one thing. Yeah, it's of note. It's of note. So we'll get there. I want to blast through some real quick newsy things just so it's in the sphere. And then let's dive into these these three events because there was some interesting stuff that happened there as well. Right on. Uh, first up, do 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 Matthew Sheehan out as Triumph's yeah. Triumph America. Interesting. Fed. I don't know enough about the situation. Uh, can you tell us uh, about him, what, what his story was? Because he's the one that supplanted... Uh, Heichelback. 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 Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's where the story starts because, um, when they ousted Greg, it was basically like dealers were pissed and Triumph was pissed. And there was a lot of talk about channel stuffing. And, and he was a Harley person before, right? Right. So there was a bit of this, um, like, hey, like, why are you, why are dealers in such a bad way? Why are dealers having to take so many bikes on that they can't sell or so many parts or so many accessories that, that the market isn't demanding? And it was, you know, this is right during the time period where Triumph was having a lot of, you know, quote unquote record sales years. Uh-huh. You know, in fact, all the European brands kind of were, especially in the US. And I think, I think it was even Power Sports Business named him like Motorsport or Power Sport Person of the Year. Um, I'm getting the superlative wrong, but they were like, this is, yeah. this is, this guy's fucking crushing it. And sure. then like six months later, it turns out, nope, he's just been faking the numbers. So they asked him, bring you Matthew, bring in Matthew Sheehan as a chief operating officer that kind of split the CEO role. But in my mind, Sheehan was the guy in charge, but yeah. stopped there. Yeah. And you talk to dealers and, a lot, you know, you kind of get this kind of, uh, split back. I think a lot of dealers liked him. I think some dealers didn't. It sounded like he had some good ideas and and was doing some right things. It also sounded like he kind of inherited some of the baggage from sure. the previous regime. And for whatever reason, I mean, sales are down. Triumph is having kind of a hard time. We're seeing some Triumph dealers close. Oh, really? And I think, yeah, I think well, we're seeing a lot of seeing a lot of dealership closes just in general in the U.S. I'd be interested to see that because I haven't being in a completely different bubble of dirt bike shops. Yeah. Everybody's fat and happy. So dirt bikes are doing well. Right? Street bikes not so, so much. I'm, I'm in this weird bubble of not paying as much attention as I used to because a lot of the Ducati shops that I used to frequent were BMW or Triumph. Right? My numbers are a couple months old now. I'm looking for a new set. Last I saw like KTM was up like 30% in the US. Yeah, they're killing and it. Just about every mm-hmm. European brand was down 10 to 20% huh. in the US huh. so far this year. So, and, and truth be told, KTM sales weren't just dirt bike sales. There was, there was a lot of growth good on, on the street, street bike, side. Yeah. But I also think when you've been sucking at yeah, the sure. street side for so sure. long, sure. that any sort of growth is, hey, we're doing record growth. Yeah. To be funny, or funny enough, I got my first call from a KTM USA or North America press officer no. the other day. No. And I was like, literally, Chris, I've been waiting for this call for 10 years. 
I've literally like I tried, I try and I try and I never get a call back and nothing works out. Like you finally we're finally doing something. So it looks like I'm gonna be getting a, a 1290 KTM Adventure S. Why? Uh, Why did you have to get the biggest wildebeest behemoth thing? Well, it's either that or a super dick, and I've ridden a super dick a lot. Oh, okay. Right. But I figured we could go do some some fun stuff. No, sure. Oregon. Can't complain, but like the eleven ninety adventure is like or whatever the the no 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 no, 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 no. you're gonna like this. Am I? Yeah. Okay, cool. I wrote this in um, Morocco. You Morocco out with your cock out. I, it's it, it's pretty good. I'm looking forward to getting okay, some more cool. time. I'm on stoked it. for to it's hear that. It's not the super adventure. You're I thinking the it. super adventure. Yeah, I no doubt. And I then am. that that kind of right. went away, and, and then the 1190s went away, and the yeah. 1290s. Now are, they have a completely different look. They have even more of an insect look to yes. them. And I haven't been on one of those since that happened. They're like a praying mantis. Yeah, which is awesome. I love praying mantis. Manti. Mantises? 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 <laughs> a, man- a manatee? A sea cow? Either way, I like mm. them. I think they're rad things, especially when the females bite the, the, they the, the head off. Yeah. head off. I think that's awesome. Good for them. Okay, well, we're going to talk about that after the show. <laughs> that's, that's a little bit of a red flag, and I feel like we should get you on a good place with that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. If we have any professionals listening, um, I need some advice. But yeah, so Triumph. I look at the situation. I don't see anything that Triumph has necessarily done that isn't, or or that is happening at Triumph that isn't happening in other brands. Yeah, sure. per se. I don't have the full perspective. Yeah, uh, obviously as an outsider, but I do think it's kind of Hinkley looking at the situation and being like, "The shit's bananas." Hey, buddy, you're out. Yeah, sure. Let's get someone in, and and he's been there since off the top of my head like five years yeah so long enough to have had an effect or to there should be have done something that we need to see some needles moving somewhere maybe it, it felt a little early but i think still fair did you ever meet this person no are they known for being open and gregarious or are they known for being uh a ball and chain no or, no, no, no. most know? people had pretty positive things yeah, to say so that's when, same I, when, here, I, when like, I talk to dealers and stuff they they seem pretty like i like that guy he's a good th- dude that's what i'm, I'm worried about because i have never heard really i have never paid attention to the name and usually in the industry you know somebody that is either really good and their name is out there because they're really good or really bad so the fact that it's kind of middle i don't know man people that i know in the triumph realm dealers employees everybody that i've known for the past two decades it's always kind of like it's similar to ducati where you're dealing with the people at the home office in the country where they are and there's a gigantic disconnect a huge disconnect and they think they know how to market to america and they don't not even a little bit so then you get somebody like michael Locke, who came in and brought triumph into the america and did a fantastic job and then ended up going to ducati and doing a fantastic job but if the economy tanks, then all of a sudden, oh no, you're not any good any longer or whatever, right? That's kind of like what I've seen is that uh, you're you're at the mercy of the of the industry in general, or you might be at the uh, mercy of the economy in general, and that is kind of the way that type of thing goes, right? You know, you could be up and up and up, but then one down year, and then oops, time for the guillotine, right? That's definitely how it works sometimes. And um, some of it's just business politics and it's who's in your corner and who do you like. And it's like Game of Thrones, man. You know, who's got the dragons? Winter's coming. Winter's coming. Are you ready for it? So he's out. Uh, I haven't heard anything from Triumph on who's going to step in and replace him. And the fact that I haven't heard that yet makes me a little worried. I should probably follow up and see where where things are. Get your shit together. Get my shit together, Beeler. Um, 
but yeah, interesting things going on in that brand. Um, just saw the Triumph engined MV Agusta for the first time. Can we talk about that? Yeah, we can. Why not? I didn't even have it on my list. No, dude, it is. Get on it because it was pretty cool. They they posted up pictures of of it and like a little video, and you could see it taken apart, which I thought was pretty good. It was really interesting to see the the tank structure, the trellis frame, which I love. You know, I'm a sucker for trellis frame. So to see that in a Moto Two bike, pretty pretty stoked. Bodywork looks great. Tied in the headlight shape with the intake shape. Yeah, did a good job of making it look like one of their street bikes. I'm hopeful for them. I know it's going to be a major uphill battle to get up with the rest of the brands, but the fact that they're doing it with a with an overall engine change, chassis change, right? So having a different engine, having a different placement of that engine, having a different power from that engine is going to throw everybody for a bit of a loop. So at least it's a little bit more on a playing ground than if they were going into the Honda realm, right? Yeah. I mean, Moto2 is cutthroat. Moto2 is a slaughterhouse. It's so gnarly. Moto2 is like wading into the comments section on a Pornhub video. Like you just <laughs> don't know what you're going to get. You need to have like the full immersion suit because you're the first three rows are going to get wet, Quentin. <laughs> the first three rows are going to get wet, you know? Um, so like from that perspective, I'm like, man, you guys are going into the lion's den. But forward racing, high level Moto Two team yeah. established has a working thing. We've actually talked about them before. They were Moto Moto GP, Moto GP team. at one point. Yeah, um, with some, some relative good with with Colin Edwards, they were up there. Right? They were up there. Yeah, they did well. Not when quite they had tech them, twa, well, but they were right there. Yeah, the CRT thing kind of that was like the the, the downward the downward slope of things. Um, but yeah, we've talked about them and their their They're Italian, manager yeah. uh, Molina and. Yeah, they're they're rad. Um, so you need to get on, get on the horn with them. I literally this morning was talking to the MV Augusta press person, and I was just like, "Hey, we need to ride those bikes. When uh, when's the press launch for the Moto Two bike? <laughs> like, let's let's talk. That would What's be going so rad. On? I want to go to that one. Oh man, I think the next because she she was typing. She's like, "Yeah, hey, I'll see you soon." I'm like, oh yeah, really? Moto Two press launch? I'm pretty sure it's the Dragster 800 RR, mm. but stay stoked. Yeah, stay yeah. stoked. Well, I, I, we got a couple guys. We'll we'll see. Slip him a fifty. See what happens. <laughs> Have you talked to my friend, yeah, Mister Benjamin? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I I like that bike. I think they did a good job of kind of making it look like their street bike, yeah. which is what you're gonna have to do. I don't know if I would want to go racing in Moto Two. But I like that they're getting back into the Grand Prix Championship. They're getting out of Superbike. What did they say in the first time in like 60 years or something? 42 years. 40 years? Okay. Yeah. But wow. they, I mean, this is a little unfair. This is like a, a shitty superlative, but it's true. They are the winningest manufacturer in Grand Prix racing. That's <laughs> so weird to think about. When they had a 250 and a 350 and a 500. Right. And, and Agostini rode yeah. all three of them. Yeah, and like yeah, there was yeah. no one else racing against them. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, yeah okay. Oh, Have you ever I, seen their true, symbol? All those okay. stars that are around the symbol yeah. and on yeah. the fuel tanks of some of the bikes. Fair enough. That's, that's some laurel resting right there. I'm going to say that. And you just want to be like, yeah, how many of those did you get in the last 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40, years. 40, uh, t- just tell me when to stop. <laughs> like I'm running out of decades. Tell me, tell me yeah, when, sure. when, when, when Jesus rode the T-Rex, that's yeah. when you last won. <laughs> okay. But no, Hey, more power to them. I'm glad they're getting involved. I think in time, this is a stepping stone to MotoGP. That's so cool. And no one said great. that to me, but yeah, that is the Feels impression like that I get. Feels like it. This isn't the end point. This is a starting point for them. Cool. Um, there's some weird stuff with that bike though. I like how the the fuel tank kind of sits below the tail section. Like you guys, like 
hey Adrian, you, you couldn't cover that you couldn't cover that shit up. What, what yeah, happened? It's there? interesting that it's that raw, but you know, whatever. Yeah. They're they're new. They're gonna have you know It's gonna take some time. Yeah, for sure. I don't have high expectations for them. If they're like in the top half this year, yeah. I think that'd be like, okay, that's fair. All right. And then be in the top Who, quarter of the year. Who's riding it? Do we know yet? That's a good question. Because uh, a lot I of that. Check that before we get into it. You it depends on it, but you know, man, that like you talk about being a bloodbath. Moto two, what the first twenty qualifiers are within point zero zero three of each of a second of each other, right? It's a really tight race every single weekend. Yeah. No. I mean, it's it's cutthroat, right? It's absolutely cutthroat. I'll be very curious. I'm very curious to see how that goes. Yep. I sounds I'm hopeful. Can't wait to ride it. Yep. Can't wait to ride it. Oh man. Guys, send it. Giovanni, put that together. At Monza or Masano. Uh, they had the Pirelli test track not too far from them. Like uh, literally down the street. Sounds great. Mugello, I think would be their next closest like That sounds big good track. Too. I would be down with all of those. Right? <laughs> right? Um, they need to do some winter testing in the states though. Maybe somewhere in the desert southwest get some Chuck Walla action going. That'd be good. What type? What tires are they? They're all in Dunlops, aren't Dunlop, they? Dunlop, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, I like this. So I had a Bothan spy contact me. Awesome. We had a little chit chat. Sure. Aprilia is making. Well, you might hate this, but I love it. The parallel twin. They're thing. making a parallel twin. Yeah, sure. But, but is taking, it a parallel twin? You're sure they're not splitting yes, it that way yes. and not the other way? They're lopping off. I was told specifically they're lopping off the rear cylinder. I I can't say that I blame I any say. of these companies for perfecting that engine that I out. I get it. I've said it before on the show. It is like the most no-brainer. And that's part of the problem is that it's such a no-brainer because you have that all-in-one thing, all the cylinders in one place, both cylinders in one place, both head, one head, simple simple to manufacture, simple to, to do everything with, right? I, I get it. But boy, oh, it's a tough one, right? Because it's just V-twins are so much better and in every way, shape, or form except for from that cost standpoint. So... The cost, I mean, well, and the way it was kind of pitched to me is they're literally taking the RSV4 engine, lopping off the rear cylinders, and just kind of keeping everything else as common parts bin as possible in terms of that engine design. So it'd be really interesting to see how they be, do that. It should be a fucking screamer. Yeah, should be amazing. But we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, I'll be curious to see what the displacement is. I would love to see it in the 650 area because then it would be. Isle of Man, twins legal. It'll be legal in a lot of twins classes for racing. We've been t- saying this about Aprilia since you know, when I was at a, an Aprilia shop at Pro Italia in 1999, 2000, 2001. We were saying even back then, put some engine, a 500 four-stroke in the 250 chassis because at the time there was right. Aprilia Cup Challenge 250s where they would bring over the two-stroke 250 street bike, which were piles of shit, but... The chassis was pretty good, but the engine was awful. It was like based off this awful Suzuki engine. It was gross. It right. wouldn't respond to any RGV tuning. RGV engine? Whatever or it was, it was, yeah. it was a piece of shit. I hated it. I was faster on a Honda RS125 than I was on those pieces of shit. They were horrible, but the chassis was decent. It was a good street bike. It was amazing on the street. Still have a, rather have a Honda uh, NSR250, but at the time they looked cool and they did the thing and it would have just been great. I thought when they came out with that RS or what is the SXV 550 that they would do something like that. And they never did. We know now why, because the things are time bombs, but, but that's the bike that I think, I mean, there, there was even rumors, I think 2009, 2010 of that project with the R with the SXV engine. I think road race chassis in a road race chassis. It makes sense. And like, that is, I think exactly what kind of, 
the market has been asking for. Yeah, that engine's had a lot of issues, but maybe we can go back and oh yeah, they could redo it, fix some things, figure there. out the things. Yeah, but I mean that that engine was sick. That was an eighty horsepower engine that weighed like seventy pounds. V twin, ninety degree V twin, ninety degree V twin. I believe so. I'm it's not, like a little. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's a ninety degree. It's a V-twin. little mini Panigale engine, as far as with the wet liners and all that. It's it, very similar. It's sick. Yeah. I mean that was a, that was a sick motor. It just fundamentally flawed in some ways but in some you, ways yeah, but there's people putting those in that in that 250 chassis and making bitch and little track bikes out of it and you know i think there's a market for that yeah but i'm glad to see that aprilia is looking at the super sport segment it sounds like they're going to come out with something unique and interesting in that space maybe it rivals an sv650 um can you imagine if the uh if ktm did something with this um uh, 790 engined uh, Duke and actually made a little like an like an RC seven ninety. Yeah, uh, I I may have or may not have had some conversations with some people in Austria about that. And like here here here's my pitch. And you know, they were saying like you know the business side is really tough. It's really hard to gauge what the yeah um, market reaction would be. How many you're going to sell? How many dealers sure. are going to you know buy that up? How many what what the market looks like? Build it and it they doesn't will come. quite fit into any really racing class. So what are you going to do? And I said to those cards, saying like, KTM, what's your slogan? Ready to race. How do you not have a super bike offering when you are the ready to race brand? And then just literally like drop the mic yeah, sure. and walk out of the room. Because that's the argument. How does how does KTM, this this racing focused brand? Why the hell are you in MotoGP? Why? Why are you even there? Wh- right? Where is it? I don't I don't know what you need to make. Yeah. But now you've got a, a parallel twin brand lineup, um, platform is the word I was looking for, that could do something cool like that. Um, I did have a conversation with the Kramer people that a 790 oh, yeah. two-cylinder Kramer is on oh, the way. Oh, yeah. That would be super sexy. Super cool. Super sexy. And then you have to go like, well, it has to be better than a R6 or it has to be better than a MV goes to F3 on the track. Because if I'm going to go racing, those are probably the two super sports I'm going to go look at. They got my expensive exotic one that's going to blow up all the time, and the one that's on Craigslist, you know, every day of the week for zero dollars. Or, uh, or that you also take the track and blow up all the time because that's what happens. Sorry, Christian. <laughs> Sorry, Christian. To be fair, that was a cripple triple. I don't think it matters, man. This is a friend that had, uh, was racing a cripple triple. Our, our good buddy Christian, my fellow Alta, uh, and I was playing rep. pit pitch to him that weekend. Yeah, dude, it's my fault, really. I was there. It. I was in the magic touch. Yeah. And so R6s, I don't know if anybody's been paying attention. They're the most easily raced bike in the U.S. Probably most clubs are in the 600 class. It's mostly R6s. They blow up a lot. They do. Straight up. They are just as fickle as anything out there. You over-rev them, they, bad things happen. He hasn't figured out what went wrong with his, but whatever. Is the cripple-triple part of it part of the mix of that? Maybe, but I doubt it. I don't think it helps. And I, I, you know, from a balance standpoint, I don't know what broke. Could have been a rod, whatever. So if it's a rod, is it the rod that's on the cripple triple one? Whatever, right? Yeah, then maybe we could say that, but I doubt it. So anyway, they're they're just as bad. You raise something, you take it to its limit, you're going to blow straight up. And um, that happens with R6s just as much as anything else, if not more. Well, I don't think anyone's racing an R6 per se because it's a more reliable or robust machine. I think they're racing just because yeah, that's the a well-sorted chassis. Yeah. They make good power. 
you know, like on, on pretty much every scale, they're probably leading. Well, the, this goes to the Kramer the argument, the argument that why race an R6 when I could go buy this thing, which between fifteen and $20,000, and I have to find a weird class for it, but I want to do it because it's unique and interesting. Even if I only end up racing other Kramers, it's way better than having the same old, same old shit. And we're seeing a lot of people with a lot of stoke on those things. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a fair argument. And by the time you invest, I think with the R, I think the argument with the R6 is that it's so cheap to pick up a used R6, and you put, I don't know, I mean, you don't, you, you can change your budget, but you know, if it was me, I'd probably put three to five thousand dollars into it to make it right, tight, and ready for racing. And you're racing for probably less than ten grand at the end of the day, whereas the Kramer's going to cost fifty to one hundred percent more. That's that's the argument. Now, if you're going to go build an FZ07 uh, RR, we're going to have to take that street bike and do a lot of things to it to make it a race yeah. bike. Then that's going to cost you like twelve, fifteen thousand dollars. And I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm going to pick up a Kramer in that case. Yeah, sure. But an R6 out of the box, man, like a, a bone stock R6. If you're a good racer, you can probably go whoop some butt in a novice 600 class. I don't know. That would be interesting to find out. You know, I don't just because I, of how much racecraft is probably there and yeah, how with, pointy he is out of the box. With that said, I do know how much you do have to do to those bikes to get them ready. And it's mostly suspension stuff, and that stuff all costs a lot. So is the is the motor critical? Yeah, you do have to get those things. You have to get – it's the electronics package as well nowadays is, like, super critical. Yeah. So you end up spending a lot more, than I think, well, than three to five grand. Just to be fair, like, I did some math the other day, and I was looking at – um. Uh. So, so one of the reasons I'm not drinking the Mondo Quinn is I'm trying to get. I want to uh, get in race shape for sure. next year. I want to go racing. Yeah. Good. Talking to the Kramer guys. Yep. Maybe we'll see something. Yeah. I don't sure. know. Maybe like maybe need, Yamaha will get me an R6. I don't know. Yeah. You never. It know. It can happen. Sure. I'm not saying hold your uh-huh. breath, but you never know. Right. Team. Team. Awesome. Yeah. Twenty pounds. Right. Uh, like thirty would be better. Yeah. Sure. But if you could get tw- twenty is doable. 20, that 20. last ten is difficult to do. Yeah. Let's just be realistic. Uh. When I was, I, I, you might not believe this. I used to have a six pack, and I weighed one. Not of Mountain Dew. Not of Mountain Dew. Like like a like a yeah ABS ABS. <laughs> you had ABS some, and trash I had some control. Torso ABS, <laughs> and I was one seventy. Yeah, which is what I weigh now. Like b- between one seventy and one seventy five, pretty much yeah. all day long. And I have a big old yeah kind of beer belly. How tall are you? Five eleven. Really? And you weigh one seventy? Huh. Oh, mm. Good for you. I'm three, four inches taller than you. Yeah, I've stayed this weight for a decade now. It's all muscle. Look at you. You're all muscle. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. All muscle and, and burned skin. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, yes, good. Hopefully, you can do that. Right. But, and if you so, can. So, doing the research on it, I was looking at, because um, I've, I've got a super bike in my garage. So, I don't want, that's, that's like a turnkey. Like, there's a bike I could go race. All right. What's next? Um, We're going to need to talk about your tailpipe emissions, Quentin. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of methane. So I don't want to go into this too far because it's like a political. You don't want to get into it too far. <laughs> I swear, you, I thought you said too far. Did you say too far? I said, oh, uh, it's so good. <laughs> just trying to clear the air for a second. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's good. All right. Uh, this is a political, just sand, uh, quicksand, landmine, yeah. yeah, vortex of bad. But um, two things that are interesting. Europe and Japan have come together on uh, a trade barrier oh, for, yeah. for motorcycles and have basically um, have agreed to use the same emission standards for for um, for their bikes. Yep, which makes it a lot easier 
uh, for European companies to sell bikes in Japan and vice versa. And it also, they're getting rid of some of the tariffs that were involved. So Japanese bikes in Europe will be significantly cheaper. And this is all in response to Trumpian economics? Um, I wouldn't say it really has anything to do with the Trump, the Trumpsters, um, with the Trump administration, uh, because it, we're not involved in it in one way or the other. But it is interesting to see that the free trade globalist mentality is kind of paying off for motorcyclists in these two regions of the world. Um, so uh, contrast that with the trade war stuff that's going on between the EU and the United States and the United States and China and the United States and everyone else. And this is the other component to the news that I want to talk about because the Trump administration is also looking to get rid of the or supersede, I should say, the waiver that the state of California has with the Clean Air Act, which is basically what allows CARB to set its own, this is the California Air yeah. Resources Board, to set its own emission standards, which have kind of become the de facto standard of the United States because they're more stringent. Yeah. And because they sell more of anything. And Everybody sells a lot of shit in California. There's a ton of the 40% of the sport bike market, I believe, is sold in, in California. Yeah. I don't know if that's true this year, but that's been more or less the standard. 40% of Ducatis for every year. 40% yeah. every year it was California. Yeah, and uh, there's a couple other states that just follow California's emission sure. standards. So that, that actually is 40% of the U.S. vehicle market falls under what carb emissions or is carb emission compliant. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting to, to, to see that, you know, kind of dichotomy and there's just, I mean, this is a really kind of turbulent time looking at trade, looking at international regulations, looking at our own internal regulations of, of what manufacturers are going to have to do in order to sell a bike to us or sell a bike to one of our listeners. I, I think it's going to, when I talk to an OEM, you know, like it's kind of crazy how many different emission standards they have to build bikes yep. to and how different they are in certain ways. It sucks. And like it eats up a lot of time. It needs a lot of resources. Amounts, if there was right? like a single unified, like, hey, all bikes across the world are going to put out this much CO2, yep. this much, yep. you know, noxious gases, this much, you know, noise, you have to have these signals. Like, man, that would probably take billions of dollars of development and put it back into these companies. It'd be really interesting to see. I don't think it's going to happen, Yeah, but it'll be interesting to see. Sure. It's not going to happen in our lifetime, maybe. No. So of, of note, I didn't want to wade into it too much, but it's something that's going on. It's probably something we're going to talk about again in the, in the coming months. Cause I don't see this changing anytime soon. Uh, it sounds like right now the EU and the U S have a little bit of a handshake agreement, not to get too crazy as they try and hammer out a deal. But, We'll see where that takes us. Yeah. And is this cars and bikes or? This specifically, um, the European Japanese thing is motorcycles yeah. and sp specifically. Got it. The California thing is all vehicles. Yeah. Uh, and or it's going to affect of course, cars right. way more than it's going to affect motorcycles because yeah. probably the end of the day, what it used to be is you'd have the 49 state model yeah, and then you have sure. the California model. Sure. And that kind of no. went away, and now you just kind of have 50 state models yeah. that are all built to the California yeah, spec. Yeah, why? Because most of the people, are, why even create yeah. two? Back in the day, it was a big deal to get, and you'd have it listed, and and it was basically in a classified ad back in the paper, the the back of roadracingworld.com, CBR 600 F2, 49 state model. It was always 49 state model. That was what you wanted. You didn't want one of them damn choked down 
car mm, affected hippy dippy surfer right bags. but it was of note that they had a bunch of shit on them that you would either have to remove and block off and it took more to make it happen and some of them had different cams so you it was more than just the shit that was on the footballs it was also camshafts yeah. engine internals whatever and we're seeing it now with bikes coming into the u.s um the first time i remember hearing this was the 2011 kawasaki zx10 r Single R, um, and it having a lower red line yeah. than um, the European spec bikes, and for a long time the the American subsidiaries now have been declining to state power figures, yeah, especially the Japanese manufacturers, and I think it's because legitimately the bikes, the Japanese bikes, aren't making the same power here as they are in Europe, yeah. And we saw that, you know, again, another thing that we saw uh, in, in the deathmatch and, and riding the superbikes, bikes like the Honda and the Suzuki make considerably less power. And you look at the dynograph and the 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 reading just starts tapering out at like 10,000 RPMs or 9,000 RPMs. And the research is showing us like, yeah, it's the ride-by-wire actually coming in and saying like, oh, you're giving me 100% throttle, but I'm actually rolling you back in the ECU to 40% throttle. So you're only going to make you know, 160 horsepower, 150 horsepower, yeah. even though in Europe this bike makes 200. It's kind of a bum deal. And most of it's for noise, which is really interesting. Yeah. So we'll see how that f- sorts itself out. Um, electrics don't have that issue. No. So that might be that might be a driving factor uh, in the industry for that. Uh, I do want to talk about electrics in, in a second here, Quentin. But first, I want to get through World Ducati Week happened. Yep. 90,000 Ducatistes showed up in Masano. A big party. Which is interesting because that's not too far off the population that shows up during a the San Marino GP, yeah. MotoGP weekend. Which is that right there. Right. So I think that's just interesting from the perspective of for an event that doesn't really have a lot of stuff going on at the racetrack, this is how a racetrack managed to fill up its venue. Yeah. Other racetrack venues should take note. Yeah. And see what's going on there. I've been saying that. F- I got to go to World of Cotty Week two years ago, and that really opened up my eyes. I was like, man, there's a way, like, you make this like a festival. You make this a whole thing. You provide a lot yeah. of entertainment and activities at the track that's not on the track, and you can make a thing out of it. I think when you went, we must have talked about it. We it's, did. It's we totally did. Very familiar to me, and I probably brought it up, and I'll bring it up again when Ducati Revs America happened in 2001. It was a good time, and it was in Vegas. And it was, but it was right after 9-11. So there wasn't a lot of, it, there was a, a weird vibe because it was only like a month after, a month and a half after the, the 9-11 situation. So it was a lot of freak out. Not as many people showed up probably that would have, but it was a pretty cool thing. And I could see an entity in the United States doing something like that, but you'd have to have a pretty heavy hitting. And you'd, I think you'd have to do as they've done which is build it up over years. And sure. they do it every two years, right? Every two. So every two years they have this thing. It's not every year. They don't have to spend all the money every year. And they it makes people want it. And then they think about it and they want to do the thing and they go. And yeah. they want to go to see the thing. Well, it helps that it's in Rimini, which is on the Adriatic Coast. It's a coast. resort town. It's a gorgeous, I'm going to go to the beach in the middle of the summer place to go. Yeah. That makes it easy. But there's two things about World Ducati Week this year and in the past that are important and I think have helped contribute to that success. One of them, they've started revealing yeah. uh, new models there. The, so this the, year's the Super Sport was last year. Super Sport was two years ago. Yeah. Uh, the original Scrambler 
was originally debuted there. Oh, okay, yeah. The, the Scrambler yep. 800. Yeah. Um, it was just the Scrambler at the time. Now it's, you know, we call it the 800. But um, yeah. this year it was the Project 1309, which is the new uh, Ducati Diavel. I want to get to that in a second. The other interesting thing that they did was they did what's called a race of champions. And they took all their MotoGP and Superbike guys, Supersport. They had Troy Bayless out there. Were they in Camaros? No. No. Because that, that used to be all, IROC. They were know? all, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I never done the IROC, yeah. yeah. Um, no, they were all on Panigale V4s yeah. with custom livery. And, and then they, they all got sold afterwards. And they all they got were, sold for like a grip on eBay. Each one of them. Yeah. But I thought that was pretty cool. And they, they did really smart. They got it. It was on TV in Italy. And then they live streamed it on Facebook for everyone else. Oh, really? That's cool. The race wasn't that good. Other than Tito Rabat clearly did not get the memo that this was for fun and just went out there and was barn. So he like got up on the inside of Lorenzo. Ooh. It was like he was doing some hard passes. He's like, I'm going to go pote on this. Uh, so that was cool to Who see. Who won it? Davizioso? Uh, no, um, Michele Piro blew the doors off everyone. Yeah. Do you know how many laps he's done around Masano right. on V4? And on that bike. Yeah, sure. Come on. Um, and he's not in the middle of a season of MotoGP yeah, or World Superbike. Doesn't that, give a fuck. Right. He's he's doing his thing, right? <laughs> and uh, he's a fat I mean he's a fast rider too. Super badass. To take away like, from look, look that dude up and you'd find that he probably should have a ride, but he had he kind of played it smart and is working for the factory. When right? he goes and does wild I think he's doing like three or four wild cards this year. When he, he goes good. out, he does well. He's top tenner. That but that's what they need. They need somebody right. that can do that final 10th of final 10th of lap time that can truly figure out whether the bike is fucked up, not just be two seconds off the pace saying, Oh, it's good. Right. Right. So I think things like that really help draw people in. Like if you're going to say like, Hey, like you're going to watch Troy Bayless line up with Davizioso and uh, Chaz Davies and you know, some of these other guys, like, I I mean, I, truth be told, I stayed up to watch it. I was like, man, that's going to be rad. I'm going to watch that. Was it? Eh, it wasn't really, I wasn't worth the sleep I lost. But you were, you were, but, Stoked enough to try. You yeah. know, I think if they, they did it again and said, like, hey, guys, like, maybe try and really race each other this time. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be cool. I, so that, that, that was a little bit for me. It was, just, it was just too many big name riders not trying very hard. Yeah. But I've I've watched the uh, the Scrambler races in yeah. person there, and those are rad. Yeah. And you go and you get to, like, hey, you're going to go to see this cool new model that no one else has seen. Like, that's a draw. You know, that would be a reason to go do that thing. And if you can do that, you know, in a, in a U.S. event as well. That'd be cool. I'd be into it. Uh, I think it's a great formula of like you're building brand, you're building fans, you're building an event. I don't know if they make how much money they make on the deal, but they got to do pretty well. Maybe. It's or pretty, they just the have... tickets are pretty cheap, but like there's all the food and yeah. vendors and stuff and so I much think like the deal gear. is that it's kind of a halo thing for Ducati. Absolutely. It makes sense for the city. The city figure right. probably gets into there's some and, sort of socialized something. Oh, goes absolutely. On there. And then Audi's got their cars there. Yeah. Pirelli's yeah. got their tires there. Dainese, Alpine stars are there. And if you so, only do it every two years instead of every year, it probably yeah. works out the cost thing. The US is the problem with the US is the proximity from one side of the country to the other, straight up. And it it, it does make it more difficult, which is why it'd be more critical for Moto America to get back to the point where it was, you know, 15, 20, 25 years ago, when it was the traveling circus, when you went to go see racing and also a stunt show and all the other manufacturers had their stuff at the track. It was a show. It was a big thing you wanted to go to because it was a big thing. It wasn't just the racing and you could, the family could go, 
you know, and it would be a, a, a that. So that traveling thing makes more sense in the U.S. I think. The thing that it's it's interesting you said Middle America. I wanted to talk about Suzuka in a minute, but one of the things that like when you look go, um, Steve English was at Suzuka taking photos for me and, and doing stories. And there's like the, the kind of iconic shot at Suzuka. With there's the, a, there's um, the, the Ferris wheel. With the Ferris wheel, yeah. And it's that idea like there's there's clearly more going on at the track than just this. And you go to another venue like uh, the French GP uh, at Le Mans. Le Mans yeah. Or if you go to Magny Cours for those rounds, they've done a really good job of making that a festival. And you go to Le Mans, it is literally like 72 hours of Mad Max partying, raves. You know, like those people at the track do not go to bed until 4 o'clock in the morning because there's literally just like dance hall rave thing going on people out it's just one big fucking party it's party and i don't think that the other events are like that and they've figured that part out like you go to MotoGP at austin texas you go to the the circuit of the americas i think for formula one the inaugural year for formula one they had a taylor swift concert Mm -hmm. and that was pretty interesting to see that kind of crossover i think two crowds that are pretty different from each other than that truth be told i think that was the only taylor swift concert in the u.s that year not that that's something i would know but um, well they made a big deal of it they did when that happened they, they were like this is the only time that right blah, blah, right and that, but i think it was like trying to draw true two crowds that are a little too different but it's this idea of like circuit of america is used to have a concert hall now i think it's a uh, or a sorry a performance stage now i think they've they've moved the soccer thing they have a fc what's the barcelona the football club fc barcelona real madrid I don't know. One of those two. Their practice one of those field? two has like basically a U.S. operation at Coda now. Yeah. And now it's a soccer field. But it was this idea of like you could have had, you know, live music and I had this whole thing and made a party there into the night. So like I really am going to spend my entire day and evening at the track where it's like now it's like, yeah, I go and I watch the race. And then the race goes over and I go into downtown Austin and I go down to 6th Street or whatever it is. And I have a, you know, I watch some live music you know, there in the bar because yeah. it's the live music capital of the world. And that's, what's great about Austin. It's a great host city, but I don't think the tracks have really capitalized. Like, Hey, you have a captive audience. Yeah, sure. You have 20,000, 30,000, 60,000, however many people it is at your facility. What are you doing to retain them? What are you doing to keep them there? Once the motorcycles aren't going around in circles. I don't think anyone's really thought about that. Well, it used to be at, you know, when I was going to world Superbike back in the, early 2000s, it was still people camping and hanging out at Laguna Seca, right? There was a big deal. You right. stayed there. Right. You camped there. And that's people still are hanging a little out. bit of a thing, but not quite the same level. No, no, for sure. Not even close to what it used to be. Even once MotoGP came in, we thought, oh, well, this will do the thing. And it it did a little bit, but not not as much. It was weird with World Superbike. Not as much. But I, it, it's just something when you, we can raise our hands and say, hey, you should probably try this or take note of this. And it's, it's fair... Fair play to say that relative to do World Ducati Weekend, for sure. Yeah. Um, coming back to World Ducati Week, the new Diavol was shown there. Was it? So I haven't seen any yes. pictures of this. Um, they did actually a pretty good job of not getting that stuff leaked out, I will have to say. So they showed it to the people like they did the last time. Yeah. There, was a, there was a spy photo of the Super Sport, right. and it leaked pretty quick. In this really case, quick. it didn't. Not so much. Uh, I think MCN has a really good rendering of the bike. I've seen spy photos. This bike has been out in other ways and, and caught with spy photos. So, and, But you haven't published them because you don't care? Because it's it's part of the PR department. I'm not going to do Ducati's PR for them. Yeah. And it's a Diavol. And it's a Diavol. I mean, yeah. 
I'm not excited. Yeah. I'm like, I'm sure it'll be a great. If you guys want to see like MCN's rendering is really good. Uh, It looks pretty much exactly like the bike. They had a guy there who went in and took notes and yeah, I mean, truth, let's be honest. They didn't have, they didn't really need to do that. Ducati sent them a photo (laughs) and the guy in the rendering studio was just like tracing it. Yeah. So, uh, it, it'll have, um, it'll be sportier. It's kind of like, it just kind of evolves where the, the old Ducati is now and kind of makes it more modern, puts the 1260 motor in it. Well, the sixty motor was in the in it's the, X. the XD oval, but the XD oval's feet forward, whereas this is feet under. Oh, okay, so that's how they're differentiating. Yeah, it. exactly. Yeah, great. Um, so lighter, a little bit lighter, faster looking. Yeah, L- less bulbous and gross and. Fat, well, what was what was the tagline for the XD oval? It's like the art of going slow. Or the power of going slow, the speed of going slow is like going slow. Something about being slow. And this is the idea of like just cruising. Yeah. I don't I, I don't know what the tagline is. That's what for I think is. of when I think of Ducati's slow and lumbering. Yeah. Heavy. Fuck. Yeah. I'm, it's it's tough. Um, well, good good on them for doing that. And maybe they're creating, you know, they're almost bridging the gap back to uh, Street Fighter-ish thing. It almost looks like a Street Fighter. Yeah. I would uh, imagine I was that. almost a little worried. I'm like, fuck, this better not be what they're calling a Street Fighter. Yeah, sure. But no, no, no. I got rest. I got assured that this is a. It'll be a Diablo. All right, good um, for them. The one thing of note is it's Project thirteen oh nine, which I have I have relayed to you that that is the year and month that the projects are started. That's how they name all their bikes. So I, with, that's what I find really interesting. So this project was started Long five years ago. ago. Yeah, this project was started before the Panigale V four. It's almost started right around the. Um, twelve ninety nine. I'm trying to think of my numbers. Um, well, late 2013. You got to think at that time the Diavel had been out for two years, two and a half years. Um, and the X Diavel was probably in process. So if they said okay, and that time for our refresh of the original Diavel, which also is going to coincide with a lot of V4 stuff. I don't know what the code name for V4 was, and I don't know the. Yeah, co- I, I've got it somewhere. I know I did a story where I tagged it, so I'm trying to find that because I was trying to compare it to another bike that we knew the project number of, which would then tell us um, when that bike was built. Ah, okay. So I know I I knew I had done some some stories that were tagged with the project numbers. The original Superleggera, the 1199 Superleggera, <laughs> yeah, of course, was Project 1201. Yeah. So this is a year yeah. after that. The second Superleggera, the 1299, was Project um, 1408, so a year later. So think how long ago that was. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. This is like, this bike was basically like a year. This this bike was, in, in, in the inception of this bike was like a year or two, a year after Domenicali came in and took over the company. Yeah. But you never know where their projects are all at. And depending on, especially at that time, what was going on with Scrambler and thinking where the resources are going. The company hasn't grown a whole lot, I don't think, since that time, as far as amount of engineers and designers. So they have to kind of figure out where they're putting their engineering effort. And they might have said, okay, we're going to start this, started doing basic stuff, and then shelved it after a little bit, focused on other things. You know, they have to be pliable. Or malleable? I, I almost think they started this bike. No, they didn't. 
before the XD Oval, but it was pretty close. Like that's the thing. Like, like that's the thing. The thing for me that's so interesting is that this bike was right on the heels. Like, hey, we're gonna make an XD Oval. Okay, let's also make a new regular Diavel, and then it just comes out significantly later. Yeah, long, longer time. Sure, yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I find like the, that's that's something for me. Like the business little nerd in me goes like, "Oh, that's interesting. That's the process. Hmm. Mm. Product development. Hmm." Mm. But um, I I was really hoping that we were gonna see the eleven hundred desert sled. Yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait until Intermoderike. Yeah, it'll be. But that, it- that's what I thought they were gonna be teasing. I didn't expect a new Diavel, new Hyper maybe. Oh yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, my uh, my spidey sense tells me update for the hyper. Yeah, I don't you don't think, think it'll be, be an eleven hundred air cooled hyper? <laughs> that would be so rad if they you mean, wait, you wait, mean, wait, wait. You mean like the, you mean like the monster eleven hundred? I mean the scrambler eleven hundred they made. Uh huh. I love that. Let's take the monster eleven hundred. Let's make it worse. Let's yeah. sell it to you as a scrambler for more. Is it? How yeah. much is one of those? I things? think if you factor in inflation, probably not. Yeah. But it's it's pretty. I think it's like five hundred bucks. I more. like the way they look. I think they're that they fill out the lines better than a standard scrambler. So I like the little twin yeah, exhaust. Yeah. I'm I'm yeah, good. Yeah, sure. It. It's a great monster. Cool monster, bro. Yeah, you just put a monster tank on it, and it would be your new monster. <laughs> and they really don't like it when you call it a monster either. Well, it's just a monster monster scrambler. It's a monstrosity. Oh, zinger! Whoa! Drink! Whoa! drink so that was world ducati week good times um we just wrapped up a massive covering of the suzuka eight hours which i have to say is pretty rad that you do i get it that it's probably a taxing thing to do but we don't get enough of this nobody else is doing it and it's a fucking cool thing so i applaud you guys for going through the effort i'm the big loser in that one quentin i lost sleep i lost money i lost coverage on other things so click on all the links click, and if you all, if you like sign up for truthfully truthfully sign up for an anr pro subscription if you like the suzuka coverage and aren't an anr pro member that, on asphalt and rubber that's the type of thing that you can afford to do that is literally how the business person in me quantifies like we're gonna do that because i knew going into it because steve and i came up with a budget and he's doing he did a shit ton of stories he was out at every session shooting I mean, it's like 100 degrees plus and 100% humidity there. It is yeah. brutal, brutal, brutal. And, we're and like, his shots are And his badass. shots are fantastic. Yep. And we came up with a budget, and I just sat there, and I was just like, if I was doing this based purely on advertising, knowing that the Endurance World Championship is not followed in America, that an American cannot find Suzuka on a map of Japan to save their life, and doesn't really care that much about it's funny, I couldn't find it things. on a map, but I might be able to draw it out because it's such a specific because it crosses over itself. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's a little figure I, 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 I would I would know that more than I would be able to find it on a map. <laughs> yeah. But it was one of those things like this is one of those things, this is this is one of the issues in in, in publishing. If you can let me go down this rant for a second. Go for that it. if I was just to look at it as a publisher from a straight ROI perspective, absolutely I wouldn't cover that race. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why all the other US publications didn't. Yeah. Because it's just the traffic on it sucks. You're just not. You're, truthfully, you're not going to get that many Americans to to read the stories. You're probably going to rely on your European and Asian readers to do those stories. And for most publications, they're not really selling ads in those markets. They're just doing Google or whatever. So you're really not making any money on it. And, and like I get that. And that would be if I was making that same analysis. If I wasn't sitting there going like, "Hey, this is just this is a objectively important thing. This is." 
Uh, the first time in 10 years that we've seen Honda with a factory team at Suzuka. Suzuka is probably the most important race to the Japanese that manufacturers. Bike was, uh, drippingly trick. Right? It's like everything I'd want out of a motorcycle. Some of the coolest bikes come out of it. Like yeah. there's there's a lot of really cool things that make it a cool story that you know you kind of need to educate the American market about. So I like it from that perspective. But what really made it make sense for me from a business perspective was like, well, we're gonna do some content for our Pro guys. I'm trying to use the Anar Pro uh, subscriber base as a way to justify and fund some of these really cool events like Suzuka. Yeah that wouldn't really be sustainable on an advertising thing, but could be sustainable on a subscription thing. So it was cool to see that we got a bunch of people signed up for Anar Pro over the course of the Suzuka week. So those of you that did that, I really appreciated it. If you were an A&R reader that likes Suzuka and you're not a pro member yet, sign, sign up for it because that's literally what's going to keep feeling those things. That's why we're doing our World Superbike coverage this year. It's basically being funded by Anar Pro, our Suzuka coverage, and our pro funder there's a couple other things we've got coming down the line i'm gonna go to macau that'll be basically out of the and our pro budget um and also, you're helping out steve english who's irish who's irish which right just tragically named i know but steve's a good guy it's funny i i was like telling steve like hey i really want you to get you know these shots of these bikes and he's like ah oh, mate they're they're really they really don't like me taking well, photos he of their did bikes something gnarly to get those honda shots i legitimately like oh we're making like kind of a joke about like how Honda was going to like probably assassinate him with Yakuza, uh-huh, you know, people. Sure. If he didn't get a credential back to Suzuka next year, I would know why I'd be like, yeah, okay. That kind of makes sense. I can't imagine there's very many people at HRC or at Yamaha racing, or uh, we got a couple more of uh, the Suzuki bike and um, the Cowie bike. We got photos of, I would not be surprised if, uh, if they weren't too happy about that. Well, because, then, but there's some really, really, really cool stuff. If you haven't seen these these gallery um, uh, photos, you, that you he's have done, another gallery look. above and beyond the Honda one because the Honda one was the only one I've, I've got. I've got the Honda one. We just put up the other day the Yamaha bike. Okay, cool. I've got the Yosh Suzuki coming out today and the uh, Kawasaki team, team Green bike. I want to see all these things. This is what just. just oh, I've, man, there's so I've, much moto porn. Right. Just bring a towel. And yeah. just to stay for a day. So I maybe I can have some comments on some of the stuff because you only have so many comments on some of the things. I'm like, oh, you should you should know what that is or what that well, does, right? There was one. I, I, this is this is the the power of the the asphalt and rubber commenting section that that is just so awesome sometimes because so on the Yamaha factory racing team R1. This is the which looks like an old R1 has the paint job from yeah, the old yeah. R1. Yeah, well that's the thing. So this was the 20th anniversary of the R1. So they're doing the retro red and white, which is cool. Um, but this is the factory R1 from the factory in Iwata. They they are now the four time four time winner in a row, which has never happened before. And team has never won yeah. Suzuka four times, let alone four times in a row. Um, so that's a big, big, big deal. And we can get into that in a minute. But like they had this one thing where like there was like this carbon wrap hose for the radiator. And I was like, I honestly don't know what this is. It doesn't look like, um, it's like a carbon fiber water holding thing. Cause yeah. you can actually kind of see the seam of it, but it doesn't quite make sense for it to be for crash protection because honestly yep. the factory ha- Yamaha team doesn't care if they crash because if they've crashed, they've yeah. already lost. Yeah. So being able to protect the radiator hose is not really a concern of theirs. I don't know. Well, someone got in there like, actually this is a formula one thing where they take 
uh, a standard radiator hose. I think you, if you weighed all the radiator hoses, there's, you know, there's several pounds into yeah. that. And what they, they figured out in Formula One is you, cause they're really thick hoses. You can actually run a really, really, really thin hose inside and then of a carbon, inside of a carbon thing. And that net weight ends up being several pounds of lost weight. And the carbon adds the extra strength and rigidity that the hose doesn't have. Yeah. And you're like, fuck. That's so good. I can't wait to see that. I hadn't seen that yet. That's awesome. Yeah. Super cool. There's a lot of really trick, trick the, little bits For me, it's the, it's the quick change shit that you nobody, nobody's saying anything about, but you have to look at all the little bits and pieces. And on the Honda, you know, I really wanted to see more pictures of the, the brake where the, where the calipers, there's a guide. And, the, and it guides the uh, the discs into the calipers, and so that the the brake pads stay where they're at, and the and the brake just goes right in. And there's this weird guide system on that bike that I really wanted to see more of. Quentin, there probably isn't more photos because there was probably like a Honda guy with a broom, like yeah, whacking right? Steve sure. as he was trying to get that shot. Good on you, Steve. He he, Steve was very diplomatic. He's Jensen. They're just being very Japanese about letting me take photos of this. I'm like, I mean, they're not. He's like, well, yeah. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. Uh, so cool to see Suzuka this year was amazing. Um, if you didn't follow our coverage, the lead up is basically this, um, Honda owns the track. They own the, the Suzuka track. This is their home track. This is, this is a race that for the Japanese manufacturers is more important than the Japanese, all, all Japan Superbike championship, more important than winning Superbike, more important than the Japanese MotoGP round. And you can and make an argument on the championship. Yeah, I was like, you can make the argument that it's more important to them than winning the MotoGP championship on an internal level, probably not on an external level. Yeah. Really, really big deal. Yamaha has won it the last three years in a row with a factory team. And this is one of the things that used to be outright factory teams about a decade ago. Yeah. And then that kind of fizzled out. Suzuka didn't become quite as important. You had these kind of like shadow factory teams where yeah. Honda would throw some money. Sure. Seven so, stars. So the the, yeah. The thing with Suzuka is you have a lot of one-off specialty Suzuka teams that show up and then Honda or Yamaha, whoever would, would kind of fund them and help like, Hey, here's a, here's a swing arm you might want. Yeah. Or, Hey, this is a motor we built. You should put that in your bike on race day. Things like that. Um, yeah. and oh, you do, you, do you need to have a rider from our, our world Superbike team come along? Like, yeah. okay, we can get you, we can get you a Johnny Ray. We could get you a, a, yeah. a Leon Camier or, or whomever. Yeah. Um, but it hasn't been quite this level. So Yamaha was finally like, hold my beer. Watch yeah. this comes up with a full factory team, brings out, um, their two world Superbike riders. Uh, Bradley Smith in the past was a part of it as well. Paul Spargo. Um, this year was Vandermark. This year was Vandermark and Lowe's. Alex Lowe's. Yep, and then a Japanese. And they all usually have a Japanese rider, somebody to toe the line for being in Japan. Right? Yeah. So this is Nakasuga, who is um their all Japan champion, all Japan champion rider, who's also the MotoGP test rider. Yeah, Katz Katsusuki. Um, he so people would know him. He is the what race was it? He is the wild card test rider for Yamaha that podiumed at Valencia, I want to say. Yeah. It was kind of a freak race. Some stuff happened. Yeah, but he but was, it was up there. So rad. And I, I just remember like so many fans were stoked for him because he was like like overly emotional and joyous about yeah. it. And like he actually he ran a really good race. He did he did his thing. Some events kind of worked out for him, but sure. he still did the thing. Can't take it away from him. And I don't know anyone that wasn't just like super, super stoked for him that day. So fast guy. I mean, they literally set the bike up for him. And then tell Alex and Michael, like, 
just deal with it. Deal with it. Because yeah. he's our guy. Yeah. He's the fast guy. He ended up getting injured before the race. Oh. So Yamaha is going to have to run a two-man team, which is which is hard. Suzuka is an eight-hour race, so it's not 24 hours, which yeah. would have been like almost impossible. Yeah, but still, dude. Eight hours in the heat is tough. Fuck that. Um, if if hour stints, right? Uh, more or less, yeah. Oh, my God. Knowing what I did with a freaking right? Ninja 250 at a go-kart track. Right? No. But no. You, didn't, you didn't have like the recovery pool and the IV bags and a dude, team they masseuse. have ice baths, right? Yeah. When they say I recovery pool, it's literally like you get into an ice bath and then you get an IV drip. There was a time when AMA Superbike, there were people getting these IV drips at the track at at race weekends because of the Suzuka stuff. They were getting their fluids if it was a particularly hot weekend. I don't know if that got outlawed, but I remember seeing pictures of Scott Russell and that. I was like, oof, that's gnarly. But a lot of a you, lot of technology. That? What's that? You ever gotten the the IV recovery drip? Never. Oh, well, it's a good time. Is it? Oh, yeah. One of the upsides of uh, dating a doctor. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Just free. Oh, man. It's like refuel. It's good. Just ready to go. Like like drinking a Mountain Dew? Not even as good. Oh. But, you know, oh, close. Okay. Yeah. All right. Pretty close. Okay. Fair enough. Um. So, yeah. So, that's kind of the setup. So, Honda's just like, we're going to knock that shit off. You're not going to yeah, get sure. four in a row. So, they finally pull out of kind of Mothballs, Team HRC, which ends up getting sponsored by Red Bull, Red Bull Honda now. They got Leon Kaimir, Taki Nakagami, oh, yeah. and Takumi Takahashi. Takahashi is their uh, MotoGP test rider. Um, Nakagami is the LCR yeah. Honda. Yeah. Um, this is his rookie season, crushing it. And then Leon, during the Suzuki, or sorry, the Suzuki, the Suzuka test, test. day, yeah. ends up fracturing his vertebrae. So PJ Jacobson gets the nod to move up from, he was on a one off, I think he was on the TSR team actually, which is a world endurance yeah. team that ends actually ended up winning the world endurance championship because yeah, of their race. That. First Japan team ever to do that. So congrats to the, uh, congratulations to them. Oh, that's awesome. But he got moved up. Um, I might he might have been in the Muwashi team. I can't remember what team they moved him up from, but he TSR got moved up. TSR did the thing. Congratulations to them. PJ gets moved into the factory team. And you know, and the they, bike they is, came in second. Yeah, and the bike's sick like the measles, man. It was really, really trick. Their lap times were okay. I would love to see what the times were during the race because the qualifying times, PJ was obviously not quite there. And the podium picture is really telling because there's the Yamaha people are stoked. The Kawasaki people are stoked because they got third, which I'd love to know why because Ray was well, hauling ass. But then the the podium, there's PJ who's stoked and the two Japanese riders are like, they're like, look like they're about to have to go back and commit Sibaku, right? They, they're they well, like, we did not win for our Honda. <laughs> so Steve and I recorded a a Suzuka podcast for the Paddock Pass show. And you should listen to that because he has a lot yeah. of really good insights about okay, it. Okay, cool. The, the short version is... Is it out yet or is it going to be? It's I'm supposed to work on it after we record Okay, this. cool. So soon. So it'll okay. be out before this comes out. Got it. Um, But yeah, I mean, like that is legitimate. Like someone probably lost a job at Honda. Yeah. If not one or... If not several people. Because or some of this fingers result. maybe? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> But it, that's how serious they take it. Like, yeah, I know. Like, like the chopping block. But I do think there was an expectation at Honda, like, we're going to win. And I don't think they really judged it correctly. It was like, well, guys, you're still racing like a 10-year-old bike. And you can do all the cool shit you're going to do to it. But, like, even in stock form, this bike's still 20 horsepower down. And Suzuka's got enough where it need, you need the yeah. whole package there, right? The one thing I will say, the R1's known as a gas guzzler. That cross plane long bang engine just guzzles the gas for no reason. When people say this, I'm like, I want, you know, an engine's an engine, an engine. I'd love to know 
what makes the R1 engine uh, any more or less fuel efficient relative to like the cross plane part of it. I'd get it if it had some weird cam thing that was going on, you know, duration and lift and all I that. I think it's the the energy. Yeah, I guess. Maybe that, it takes more energy. I think it, to, I think it takes more energy to move yeah. that crank when it's not. Yeah, I, uh, wanna, I, I can't. Uh, I don't know how to. I'm doing hand signals. Yeah, you're doing a lot of parallel and then perpendicular. I'm doing the long bang, Quentin. Long bang. This is, this is long bang. That's right the here. long bang. This oh my gosh! It looks right like here. the robot. We call it the long bang. Okay. Um, It's Bender's girlfriend. (laughs) That's a good Futurama reference. (laughs) Um, But but it is of note that the the R1 is known as gas guzzler. Did twice as many pit stops as the Honda. No. Yes. To be fair, the last one was called Splash and Dash with like 15 laps to go or something. Um, But they were doing lots of Splash and Dashes, not... No, no, no. So, just that last one was a splash and dash. So otherwise, uh, they're filling it up. Twice as many? Sorry, not the, twice as many. Two Did two extra. Oh, okay. All right. Sorry. I was about to say twice Sorry. as many. There's no fucking way yeah, that no, mathematically no, no, no. works but out. That, a little slip of the... That's, that's the Mountain Dew talk. Okay. All right. Um, but I do think there is there is a tipping point there with, with, with the Honda where it's like, yeah, we don't have, let's say, 200 horsepower, but we've got 180, but that allows us to do five pit stops instead of seven. Yeah. And so the four minutes that we lose on tr- on track we make up in the pits so why they lose by 30 seconds they lost by 30 seconds now there is some safety car stuff that happened there was a bunch of weather there's a bunch of like this is oh, kind yeah, of a crazy I saw the race pictures that start off in the wet i'm like well that's all bets are off shit right, right there so there's a lot of there's a lot of things going on and i don't you know steve's opinion is that it it kind of helped honda i actually think it hurt them but yeah, I think you can make a lot of arguments about it. How could it was how very, could rain hurt a, a team that has it was down just because on, of when the safety car came out, uh, how okay. long they came behind it? So like you build up a gap and then that gap goes away oh, because yeah. a safety car comes Did out. They, and, had they built a gap? Yes. So Honda was in the lead for a while. Depends which time you're talking about the safety car though. Uh, it came out multiple times. Yeah. So I do think there's a little bit of like, well, you could have had a thing here. This was your time. This was your time to make up some yeah. some ground. And, and did PJ go well compared to the other riders? He did okay. PJ didn't get a lot of time on the bike. He didn't spin a single lap in the wet before the race. Yeah. Um, and that, and that was kind of my, my question to, to Steve was like, do you think this helped or hurt PJ standing in Honda? And he seemed to be of the opinion that it helped him. You can't. Dude, but, if you get thrust up into that... Uh, I mean, he must. He he would have had to have really sucked. I saw that his time wasn't fantastic. It was like a two hundred eight or something. And there's Johnny Ray doing a two hundred five. But yeah. again, that bike licks balls. It's not that good. So, yeah. well, and to be fair, it's really tough when your other two riders are Japanese. You have an entire team that is from all the Japanese. factory. They're yeah. all Japanese, and you're the one American kid. You've and got literally, some no translator. Lowen's talking to you because yeah. you're just you're not the you nope. don't speak the language. Yeah, absolutely. It's and if, they, if Honda doesn't realize that, but then realizes what he just did for them, not crashing, right? Huge, not crashing, right? Like that's a big deal. In the rain, even if he okay, fair enough, he wasn't in the rain, good. But the fact that they didn't crash is a big deal, and I think that I I would say that would give him more of a stamp than not. That going through that, getting on the fucking podium. Right, that's a big deal. And you want to talk about crashing? That's why why Kawasaki was on the podium and not on the winner step uh, is because Johnny Ray crashed. Did he in the wet? Uh, and they also had a fueling issue where he basically ran out of gas. Ooh, uh, he was pretty close to to the the pit end, but they definitely misjudged that and lost time there. 
Johnny, though. It was Johnny. both of those things both happened things on Johnny. Johnny's because Johnny was so much faster than everybody, right? And Leon wasn't slow either. Uh, Leon Haslam was on the team. Oh, that's right. Because he's going to be Johnny, who is in the British Superbike. He's not even in World Superbike any longer, right? No, but he'll be Johnny's teammate in World Superbike next year. So no. what, basically, what Kawasaki did is they took basically the World Superbike team and brought them over to develop that yeah. uh, ZX10 RR. Bitchin'. And that was part of what kind of like Pierre Ribe came in and he's that's the crew chief for, for Johnny Ray. He came in and was like, sort it out. I'm going to bring like five of my mates. And we're going to be the crew, and we're a tight, high-functioning team. I know what Johnny needs. Leon, we know Leon. He's so in BSB. they made a team for the Suzuka 8-hour for was, Kawasaki to do this. They've had that team for the last two years, and they've been podium finishers the last Got two it. years. Okay. But this is the first time that they had brought over like the World Superbike guys. And you know, Leon's done some uh, one-off. Yeah. wild cards for Kawasaki and World Superbike and we'll be on the team next year. So this is kind That's of That's like, really interesting. I didn't know that he is yeah. back in the fray. Well, I figured he would, I wouldn't say washed up, but he seemed like he's just going to be... Uh, leading the championship at BSB, I believe, right he? now. Yeah. Uh, don't quote me on that. I don't follow BSB very closely, but I think that's correct. Yeah. If not, doing very, very well. Yeah, sure. Um. So yeah, really an interesting, interesting race. Um. One of the things that came out of it that we did an in our pro story about actually, Steve sat down and kind of explained why Bridgestone is literally you have to be running Bridgestone. If you do not run a Bridgestone tire at Suzuka, you're just not going to do well. And if you look at the results, the top 10 um, teams that finished, Mm. eight of them are on Bridgestones. Interesting. And the ones that aren't, um, let me double check this really quick. Dunlops? No, one was on Dunlop and one was on Pirelli. Huh. The where is it? Um, the teams that weren't on, yeah, the teams that weren't on, uh, so the GMT 94 Yamaha team that's leaving the endurance championship this year, they're on Dunlops, but that's because they run Dunlops through the whole entire championship. Yeah. The other team was the Moriwaki, uh, multiple team. And they were on Pirelli's. And I can't remember if they're a Suzuka special team or not. What I brand? Think, I think bike? they're. It's a. Um, it's a Honda. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a two rider team. It must have been. They must be a, a Suzuka special team. But that kind of shows you, like, you go through and like all the Suzuka specials are basically running Bridgestones. There's just something about that track. That it's a long track. It's the heat. It's the asphalt. Bridgestones, and development. They've been developing for a long out. time. Yeah. Uh, I talked to another man, tire manufacturer about it, and they're just like, "Yeah, we." It's just one of those things. Like, that's just a really tough circuit. They've cracked the code. We have not cracked the code on how to do 200 laps on a tire when it's 40 degrees Celsius ambient, 50 degrees Celsius track, yeah. or whatever it is, 60 degrees Celsius track. Crazy, crazy hot. And um, you know, more power to them. Uh, another thing that I noticed was there's a there's this one kid who's doing well in the Moto America Championship. His last name is Lee. Did you notice that? Um, I think it might be Andrew Lee, and he was on a Superstock uh, race team, and I think they won the Superstock. He's on a Kawasaki. Kawasaki, the Army Girl team. Yeah, Army Girl. I'd love to know what that. I'd love to see that. There's so many crazy names. I know, and I love it. I love it all. Don't. They're so lost in translation for sure. And I'd love to know the the story. You know, the other interesting story is the numbers and which numbers. You know, back in the day, um, I was told that you know the the main Honda team. This is back when it was um, RVF 750s, which are 
kind of RC 45 ish, um, the number would be 11. And you're like, why would you want to choose 11? It's because they would do for each rider. It was the number one rider and the other number one rider. So I think even Rossi, when he was when he won uh, Suzuki, I think it might have been with a number 11. I'm not sure. But that there's a significance to the different numbers that like it'd be the number one from the Japan Championship and the number one from World Superbike Championship or something like that. That's why I'd like to know why the uh, Yamaha team was on 12. Is it one, two? Why? You know, do they separate those out? And there, there's a story there. And I just, I don't know. It, I, something worth getting Steve on, sick him on that sometime. Be yeah, that'd be an interesting follow up. Just to, just to finish, the the uh, Army Girl team came in second. Second. In Superstar, but in that's Superstar. pretty cool. So that kid, who I don't know much about, but he's from Clovis or Central Valley, California, uh, is doing well. He's going well in the uh, AMA. Thousand CC yeah. super stock category, whatever that is. I'm sorry, I don't know it exactly. And he got invited over to do the thing, and he's doing the thing, so that's awesome. Yeah, they finished 19th overall. The first place finishing super stock team was 18th overall, so they're right there. Yeah, um, right on. Interesting stuff. Uh, I'm trying to think what else from Suzuka to, to impart to you, Quentin. Crazy, crazy race. We need cool. to go next year. I want to go. I say every year I want to go. Yeah, let's, and we never do it. Let's so we got buy the it. flights. Figure when when do they announce it? When do they announce oh, the point. date? I don't know. Maybe so find the date, and I'm dead serious this time. I will I will buy a flight now, and figure it out. Like we got to figure out when they're testing. Maybe you'd be tempted to to go for maybe just the testing, but I'd rather go for the real no, race. Like I go for the race. Yeah, got to yeah. do the thing. I want to do it. So okay. let's figure this out. I'm I'm dead set on it this time because I have a feeling we can make it happen next year. Yeah, it'd be good. Okay. I'd be I'd be that'd be a bucket list thing to go see. I think that'd be really cool. Okay, cool. And. You know, you you know that Honda's gonna step it up yeah, another notch. It's time. I wouldn't be surprised if Honda's just like, fuck, we lost Suzuka. All right, guys, we gotta show a new super bike at at, at Icma. Yeah. Uh you've yeah. got three weeks to get that together. Let's go. Chop chop. That V four thing, we've been talking about the V four for twenty years. Let's was, let's just do that. Fuck it's it. in it's in Lorenzo's contract to race it next year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wouldn't be, that wouldn't surprise me. Like you you joke, but so Quentin, we've been kind of teasing this saving this, the best for last this is definitely what i wanted to talk to you about today uh -huh, sure. and we're only like you know an hour or so into the show yeah right um so i was talking about finish the suzuka coverage i think i'm done for the week i've been just going crazy with that got off the phone with steve he's on japanese time and i'm like all right i'm gonna take the day off and harley davidson's just like oh wait hold on we're just gonna drop a ton of news a ton of news on you so new adventure bike New Street Fighter, new custom, which is basically a new cruiser. Um, they, all based out of a new engine architecture. A new all of engine this. family. Two engine yeah. fan two new engine families, a two fifty to five hundred cc family and a I think it was nine seventy five yeah, to twelve fifty. I didn't even read the small bike engine family. Yeah. Now that that and pretends all kinds of different things. It's very interesting and it's very focused on Indian and yeah. the Chinese markets. Not Indian motorcycles, not like but Indian the, market, Southeast Indian, Asia. Yeah. Yeah. Not miners. Yeah. Miners. <laughs> I passed by a miners road somewhere in Montana the other day. I was like, miners. I didn't. I was going too fast. I was like, oh, man. I was out to lunch the other day and they had, it was at a bar and it had a, for some reason, like their fridge had a no miners sign on it. Yeah. I'm like, you got any miners in there? <laughs> you, can't, you don't want any miners getting, digging around, digging around, getting their drinks? <laughs> Not miners. I mean, miners. You should have a pickaxe out there. <laughs> Fend them off. So um, then they have the, they kind of showed their their plans for electrics. 
um, which was really interesting. And you know, actually, Quentin, it's kind of it's kind of interesting when I was looking at the photos. One of these kind of flat tracky bikes looks like it's um, a very Alta Alta esque. Oh, dude, what, what can you tell me about that? Holy crap! Oh well, yeah, that's really interesting, Quentin. <laughs> I know, right? That's really. That's really. Oh. oh, dude, did my mic drop? Coda, oh, you man, little so, bastard, sorry. just yeah, pulled out the mic. Yeah, oh, sorry. Yeah, well, no sense in going back. <laughs> let's get back to um. Let's let's Tarantino it. Let's talk about this adventure bike. Yeah, right. So, this is something that like it's like yeah, I get it, but. Oh man, this is going to be a, a tough one for a lot of people to swallow. It's like, first of all, it's pretty ugly. I'm not going to say that it's like you, you look at it, but then somebody brought up, it's, and I have to say this: it's Project Starbuck. Ne- yeah, Project, not Roger, but Project Starbuck. It does. It looks like a Cylon. It does. Um, but even with that said, name an adventure bike that is easy on the eyes. Any one of them, like I, I think the maybe maybe the KTM's. No, 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 no. That look, is that is that is the ugly segment. That's totally fair. They and all have to the, look like a bag of smashed assholes just based on what they have to do. I'm sorry. But with that said, I think some of the older KTM 950 adventures looked okay. But even then, the the front fender beak thing always screws it up. I don't hate it. I'll be really honest. I don't hate I, the way do it looks. I, I, it kind of looks like I'm a, a, a baleen time. whale or a whale shark with its mouth open, just kind of like sucking up the little krill. Yeah, it's not the an, fuel tank looks bad. It, like, look at the fuel tank a, a, apart from the headlight thing, and it looks awesome, right? It has the it evokes their shape. The it, thing that gets me with it is it looks really wide. Yeah, it definitely. And I looks don't big. know why it looks so wide when it's a V twin engine. It should be really narrow. And I think that comes down to Harley Davidson's just kind of engine design philosophy. Frame design. If you look at the one of the pictures in their video of the mock-up thing, it's almost all white. Look at the frame, and it's that same over-under cradle deal. And they they I, I don't I have a thing they have a problem getting away from that. But then the Street Fighter thing that they came up looks light and right. It almost see, almost. See, that's the thing I was about to say. Like we're gonna get to the Street Fighter in a second, but both those bikes tell me that harley davidson does not understand these segments where they're like oh we need to make a street fighter and you look at it and you're like well that's a really short swing arm and you got a, a 180 tire on there and it's belt driven and i don't see any sort of hookups for electronics like do you guys understand what this market's about like do you understand and, and it's got like the big like they're really showing off that v-twin engine like I feel like you're about to buell me again. Well, I feel like they, you're just trying to cram this. They're, they're still marketing to, to Harley people. Well, that's the thing. If you told me like, hey, we're just going to try and get, you know, Bob that owns, you know, a Dynaglide to get on a new Street Fighter. I'd be like, okay. Yeah, I think you did a pretty good job of making that proposition. But that's not what they need to do. But if, exactly. If you're trying to get someone like me, who is like a Street Fighter guy. I got a, I already got a Street Fighter in my garage. My favorite bike in the world is probably a Super Duke. Um... I'm with you. you know, I like, like you're it. not you're not stealing any sales away from me. The first time I saw it, I was like, "Holy shit, that looks right." I like it. You I like right it. off the bat, I was you, like, "You would rock the snot out of that." If there's a lot of ifs with its with its the the brake discs don't float. I see it, and and keep in mind what you're looking at. And there's a couple things you're like, "Oh, there's no ABS sensors or whatever." Well, there's also the brake rotors have not been used at all, and there's no belt on the on the pulley. If you <laughs> right. look at it closely, that's fair. there's a few parts on that's a 
the pre-production yeah, hey absolutely. look at me thing absolutely so wait until but, it's baked but also, it's, it's partially baked it's partially baked right? but also understand that you're showing off this bike to a bunch of people that would tweak that are, that. that are yes. going to be critical that are looking for how serious you are and you came out and your and your initial impression is going to be yeah we don't really know what we're doing that, that's how it looks to me that's that's my take on it where and this is the conversation that i've had with people you know back in the in, in the midwest about making sport bikes yeah where they're like jensen what do we need to do to make a sport bike I'm like okay we need to have dual brakes up front they need to be railing mounted you need to have an electronic package these are the weight and power figures that you need to be, need to be, be powerful, for yeah. this segment you know this is kind of the aesthetic that you know other brands have done but maybe you can do different things here and there and they go you don't think the aesthetic is nailed though it looks good no, looks I, don't like, right. I don't like the way it looks the street fighter i don't, I don't like the way it looks i think it looks i like the adventure bike more but but what gets me is the response that they say to all that stuff is like oh we were we were just thinking like maybe a, a racing stripe or something and you're like, no, 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 you can't take that bike. You can't take like a Harley and just kind of gussy it up with like a different tank and a different seat and like yeah. a different handlebar and be like, this is our sport bike. You're like, no, 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 that's just a Harley with different shit on it. Yeah. And I don't think they've quite gotten that. And that's, and that's always been my worry. And so when I look at the Street Fighter and I look at like the brake setup and I look at the belt drive and I look at 975 cc engine i'm just kind of like you guys have you did you see what you're competing against did you see a super duke did you see a tuono do you know that ducati's coming out with a v4 street fighter i mean fuck it if you want to go look american have you seen the modus v4 street fighter that those guys are about to debut that they've been working on that thing's fucking sick you're gonna go against that and you're gonna bring out this yeah i would Good be if i'm looking at it like 975 instead of Good luck like to you. Like 848 Street Fighter, and I'm instead of the 12 blah, 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 blah engine, looks like it could be if it was light enough. Man, I've been running a bike with mounted to the wheel discs with my Multistrada 1200 or 1100 for now th- two years, and it's wonderful. The brakes work great. There's nothing wrong with that. Is it the highest level? No. Does it need to be? No. Does it still have Brembo's? It does. Does the rear brake look like it's very functional? Yes, it's large. I, yeah, I have to admit, you're blowing the fuck up out of the pixels. Holy shit, it was wonderful to be able to tweak on it. Yeah, there's a lot of crap on there. You see big heavy bolts and stuff like that, and I don't trust that it's going to be perfect, but eh, they're getting closer than I what I would have expected. I'll say that. Let's put it this way. We've done this before, and we saw what the market's reaction was to it. What, with the Buells? Right. So why are we thinking that doing that strategy again? It says Harley Davidson on it, not Buell. Maybe, maybe it doesn't have all the weird Buell shit on it, but it's still this idea of like, hey, you're still kind of cramming a weird Harley engine into a street bike and trying to tell me that this is a. Is it a weird Harley engine? Look at it, double overhead cam, double overhead cam. I'm be very curious to see what this. We have no specs on any of this stuff. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Let's wait until we have some more info. Let's 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 take a step back. This is how we should have started it. Let's take a step back and realize the the totality of the circumstance on what's going on here. Weeks before this, and I actually did this on purpose. I left up. Um, we do the featured story at the yeah, top of the sure. The one my where they lost three point six percent or whatever. I made sure my featured story on the front page was the dismal second quarter sales results that they posted just weeks before this. And it's really interesting that Harley Davidson is doing something completely unprecedented in terms of showing us what its new models are. And these aren't bikes that are coming out later this year, Quentin, for the 2019 model year. 
2020. They're coming out in 2020. These are concepts that are way, you know, some of these bikes are coming out in 2022, as late as 2022. They're like, and they're we basically want to show us, you that we're doing a yeah, thing. They're we're doing the thing. And they basically sat down and said, like, this is our five-year strategy. We're radically shaking things up. Here's our five-year strategy. Here's our product roadmap for the next five years. Outside of, like, a couple conversations, like, there's a couple OEMs that like, you can kind of get their CEO to tell you that kind of stuff, like MV Augusta or KTM come to mind. They're, they're CEOs just have loose lips. That's how they roll. But Harley Davidson's not that way. And for them to do that, I, li- I do not think that this is a coincidence where it's no, like, no. hey, our ship is sinking. Our stock is plummeting. Our sales are shitty. We're getting all sorts of issues with the U.S. government. Things are not good here. We need to show signs of life. We need to show that we're making a new direction. We need to show that we've got a pulse and we've got some idea. And that's where all this is coming from. And so that's how I look at it. And then when they bring out like the Street Fighter for me, especially where I'm just kind of like, yeah, that's not Street Fighter. It's a cool roadster naked bike, but the name of it is literally Street Fighter. Okay, good luck. I'll be very curious. Now, maybe it makes 200 horsepower and does stand up wheelies all day and weighs 20 pounds. <laughs> yeah, sure. Right. And I just don't know it because we don't have those specs. I just don't think it needs to do the same thing that what you're saying. I think you're right. It does need to have an electronics package and we need to have power, but doesn't need to have too much power. It just needs to be look good and be I th- I hope light enough. That's going to be the problem. I think I think this is a branding issue. If you had told me because it's literally being branded as a Street Fighter, it's called a Street Fighter. Yeah. So that to me says Street Fighter. The if, original if Street Fighters were super say. bikes without. No, that's I mean that's that's what they're saying in this press thing. But that's but. the thing in the press release they're doing. They do all the names of the bikes in a certain font with the, in a certain color. Oh, and the and a pan certain thing. Of- Pan America. So the Pan America is the adventure bike. This is literally called the Street Fighter. The other one's called the Custom. The Live Wire is called the Live Wire. Yeah. So like, I think that's the name. Hmm. If they come out and said like, "This is our Roadster," yeah, I'd be like, "Oh, okay, that's a little different." So you say but from just from a semantic. I think standpoint? I think that's that's the part that gets me because I look at like there should have been a project manager so like, guys, you can't call this a Street Fighter. Because this is what a street fighter needs to be. This is a roadster. This is, yeah, this is a sporty bike. This is a cool thing, but we got to come up with a different name for it. And it's the same thing with, um, you know, kind of the adventure bike where you look at it and you're like, man, this really feels like it's about to be a Kaplan Nord again. Where it's like, <laughs> yeah, you call, like it. it's, it's supposed to be an adventure bike, but you have like three quarters and an inch of ground travel or sorry, ground clearance. And, and it's, it's five hundred and fifty to six hundred and fifty yeah. pounds, yeah. And it's got all these kind of like it's tubeless tires and it's all these things, and you're just like uh, I don't know. I reserve judgment until I go and see it. The bike I want to ride the most is that custom cruiser though. With I think big it looks fat front tires. I think it looks rad. Time. Yeah, it looks I, okay. I would put that in my garage in a heartbeat. Sure. I like the fact that it looks like what a sportster should have looked should look like. like. Years Maybe even ago. 10 years ago yeah. as a new, it's like the Ducati scrambler of what Ducati scramblers exactly. did in 1970. This bike should have been out 10 years the, ago. The, yes, exactly. But there are now, and I like that and that's fine. It does the thing and hopefully it handles well and does all the stuff that they need it to do. But with a modern engine that does the thing as well. A modern engine, modern styling. I mean, I would probably, if it was me, I would probably replace the entire front end with, with a real front end with dual brakes and, yeah. and, you know, proper suspension and, get rid of that i think i'd let it go i'd let it go i'd be like i like it the way it is i'm just gonna ride it at this would be the bike to cruise on cruise right that's what they want you to say slow cruise right whereas the street fighter looks like something i could just have as my day-to-day bang around and then also go do a track day on it and it would do the thing 
but not be like hyper sports level. Right? Well, that's the thing. And I think that was always the disconnect with Buell where Buell's was like, this is a, this is our sport bike. This is our thing. We're like, no, like the Ulysses just wasn't that like, your bikes were good street bikes. They're just shitty track bikes. And if you had pitched them as great street bikes, I think you would have gotten a little bit more mileage out of your marketing. But it was always like, cause he's Eric Buell and wants to be a racer and do all these things. Yeah, sure. It's just that disconnect. And I see that same disconnect. It's, it comes right back to, the the adventure 1250 this this pan america 1250 they're calling it a middleweight and i, and I look at like in harley speak it yeah. is a middleweight because, because it's not an 1800 right yeah. <laughs> but you're like you look at the rest of the market the rest of the market's like no this is a heavyweight and it's just that idea of like no you're still thinking of things in terms of milwaukee metrics yeah you're not thinking a bit about what the rest of the world is doing that's weight not and, cc <laughs> and that's what i'm worried about where yeah. i'm just like you guys are still you're too myopic in your thinking you're still too ingrained in your barn shield orange and black bullshit and that's the disconnect that has held you back the last 10 20 years and if you haven't removed that those blinders then I don't see how you're con- you're going to succeed no matter what these bikes are doing because you've just you're starting out on the wrong track already. That's my worry. Yeah, I don't. I'm not too worried about that. It seems like they they have to do something. They are doing the things that they had to do. A lot of that stuff's fairly well baked. I think they said, you know what, we're gonna have to do this thing, and we have enough bakeness in all these things. This motor is obviously well supported. It's, um, yeah, so, there can be multiple displacements of it. Yeah, that, um, that's what I'm saying. So I, I think I think 17 bikes total are coming out between all these. That's great. Um, Better than this piece of shits that they have been coming up with. Whatever these water cooled things of the past few years, they're horrible. A lot of things you could say. The one thing I thought was interesting was they're like you know they're high fiving over it, and part of me is like, yeah, I get excited, but also really like this is something that Harley Davidson should have done years ago. Like I'm glad they're doing it. I'm glad they're thinking outside the box yeah, and sure. all that. And I'm literally working on a story that hopefully will go out today. You know, it says like, why is everyone in Milwaukee high-fiving right now? Because, you know, you're just like, oh, we're coming with these new bikes and Harley Davidson's getting a swagger back and we're going to go do the thing. We're going to be a, uh, you know, a true, a true house of, you know, motorcycle lineup of bikes and, you know, have a robust uh, offering for our, our customers and our dealers. And you're like, yeah, you guys should have done this years ago. You're just doing what you should have done years ago. Like the the only positive I see here is you're finally doing the thing that I've been saying for the last ten years you should be doing. And I don't know if you really should get credit for that. Like I don't like, oh, you're you're finally doing it right. Good good for you. It's like, no, you were supposed to do that. You don't get credit for things that you're supposed to do. Get credit. You get credit for doing like above and beyond. Well, you're just now finally meeting expectations. There's no credit to anything. They haven't done anything. They haven't done anything. That's the other part of it too. Vaporware at this stage. So let them, you know, do some follow through, which we we know they'll do follow through. The question will be, will it be what we have come to expect, which is unfortunately heavy, lumbering things that suit a specific type of person to a T. When I was just on my 2100 mile voyage to visit dealers in the in the Pacific Northwest I passed by far more Harleys than anything else by a long shot. Yeah, I'm going through 
Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, like this is Harley territory, long distance, but the bagger upon bagger upon bagger and twins of baggers all over the place. They do it right. They have it figured out. They've got the American public pretty well sorted. Their sales are going down, but I think they'll still weather that storm. They'll be able to do it. Going to have to downsize. They're going to have to get their shit together. But then they're opening themselves up to other people. And if I, as the 40-year-old average cis white dude, sees one of these bikes and says, huh, I would probably, I mean, I, I built the freaking Terra Corsa. So as, as somebody that would take something that shouldn't go off-road and take it off-road, I'm enough of a idiot that would take that big thing and be like, yeah, I'm just doing it. I want to see what it'll do. Oh yeah. Sure. Right. I would absolutely do it. The street fighter I would probably have as a track bike. I, the fact that you would my, buy it as a track bike. Uh, yeah. I would. So the fact that I'm looking at or that, would you ride it? You buy it as a street bike and ride it on the track. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Right? Like, and have it as both as I have with my street fighter in the past. Same okay. thing. So same thing with my 848 street fighter. It'll probably be better than that. Right. So I'm looking at that. And it's like, well, that's p- potential. Now, if I get it and slow and hunky or shitty, then that'd be another story. But I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I wouldn't, I don't care about a belt drive. See, I don't right? even get the benefit of the doubt from it because I, I see too many, too many cues that they don't get it. Cues are good. All the cues are good. <laughs> I only good. got one cue in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. So time will tell. But it's, it's, they're doing what the right thing they've done is you and I are talking about it. Sure. That's what they need more than anything is people like us and the rest of the media to talk about it. It's interesting to see the, the electric plan and to see the other little plans that they kind of teased out about how they want to bring, I think it was um, 2 million more riders. And they want to get into Southeast Asia. They have like these plans for small India machines and China. And they're going to be building small machines. They're going to partner with an Indian company to do that. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of like, yeah, well, okay, yeah, they're looking at abroad as their growth base. Like we're we're going to kind of try and get some sales back in the U.S. and make some new riders in the U.S. But our future of our company is outside of the U.S. European or, sales, or both. European sales could be bigger. Sales in China and India could be way bigger. There's way yeah. more motorcyclists there. Southeast Asia, all those markets. What do you know? It's a global economy. They've got to be a global brand, Something and they about, are, but not in that way. Right. Um. So there's something to that. Looking at the electric plan makes a lot of sense, especially here domestically, because that's the thing that impressed me the most. You know, we, we made the joke about um, <laughs> the bike that looks very Alta-esque, but that's one piece in a larger pathway. And it's interesting that it's a pathway of, of electric bikes where you have this start out with the pedal assist e-bikes, yeah, which we've talked about before and what a big yeah. deal in the cycling world e-bikes are now and how much growth that they're funneling into the bicycle market yeah and then you have this kind of in-between bike that we don't really have a name for yet but it's i guess it kind of replaces a moped in a way yeah where it's not pedals but it's still kind of a bicycle format that you would take on like bike trails and you would take on a city train but it's but it's kind of motoring and maybe goes 40 50 miles an hour and, and it has like a 10 20 mile mile range it's interesting and then you have this kind of electric scooter that looks like a ruckus with a storage area and looks very urban and, and and looks like it's going after that kind of market. And then it steps it up to this lightweight street bike Alta thing that looks like will be kind of going after that 300cc, 500cc motorcycle demographic. And then you go into the next one, which is the live wire, which is like a full-size motorcycle you know, heavyweight motorcycle that's going to go do all the things. It's a proper power cruiser. It's a proper Harley. And it literally takes you from being a non-motorcyclist, non-rider, 
all the way into full Harley Davidson ownership. And I think yeah. creating that channel and that pathway is a huge deal. I agree. You, you got anything to add on that? Oh, no, I can't. <laughs> yeah, I can't. Wah, wah. Yeah, sorry. I say that I would I would hope as as Alta that we do a similar thing eventually. I'd like to see us make smaller dirt bikes for the because we keep getting people asking, "Hey, I have this Osset. I'd really like an Alta." And the people that already own Altas, they're like, "Can't can't you guys make an in between? I really want a you know big wheel blankety blank for my kid, right?" So they want an alternative. Yeah, right. So I we're only so big, but I think from a branding standpoint, it's very smart. That's why Honda became Honda. You guys need to get some long bang. Long bang. We need that. This should be one of the one of the names. It's a long bang. I want a little, no, I want a wait, there's no bang. That. But wait, there's no red. It's not red and it doesn't shift. Why is it a red shift? Long bang. That'd be the next. Um Yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. The the transportation thing is definitely changing. Uh good to see that Harley is realizing that. That's a part of their strategy. That, yeah, sure. that that's something that shows me there's little signs of life. Now it's kind of one of those like obvious things that's been in the tr- transportation sector for a while and it's like oh congratulations to the conversation but at least you're saying the right things yeah sure um so, so very, you're excited about that not as much the piston engine vehicles <laughs> i i just see that being like that strategy would be like like if i had to come up with the strategy like that's exactly what you need to do you need to start out at pedal bikes and end at full-size motorcycles and you need to do all the things in between and that's kind of u.s market it's definitely european market but there's a chance the U.S. market might become part of that, yeah. especially with autonomous vehicles. I think that's where the sweet pot, sweet spot is for growth in the U.S. And I do think there's a little bit of like if you can start getting cyclists onto the, you know, pedal onto these pedal assist bikes, which is already happening, and then you start teasing out like, well, what if you didn't have to pedal? It could go a little bit faster, and for like a thousand bucks more. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, wasn't that cool that you could like go you know, down mountain biking on that trail or, you know, blast down that city street. Now, wouldn't that be cool if you could kind of like do it on the freeway or do that a little bit faster and go a little bit further? Yeah. Well, I got a bike for you that. Like, isn't this cool? Like, what if you go across the country doing that? Oh, and I got a bike for you for that. Like, just you just kind of yeah. like sure. upsell them each time. And I think that's a really smart strategy. On the thermic side, I don't think they're making the right steps. I think there's a couple of missteps there that make me worried that there's missteps that we haven't seen yet because this is, you know, obviously just a teaser. These are just concepts. These are things that are coming out in two years. And it's not like Harley Davidson's really earned my trust in this no, department sure. of being able to get that shit right in the first place. I'm excited by it. I'm, but I'm with you. I understand where you're coming from, but I'm, I'm stoked on all of it. I think it's good. doesn't mean I, I think that the adventure bike looks good, but eh, whatever you put knobbies on anything, I'm stoked on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm, hey, <laughs> right? I, I want to go to the press launch. I want to yeah, ride the bike. Uh, sure, I'm going to sure. go, I'm going to go ride it and do all the things. I want to yeah. see how it is. I reserve my, my final judgment until I've yeah. actually fuck, seen some specs on it. Yeah, sure. You know, come on. Like we're sitting here like debating, Completely guessing. Yeah. yeah it, it, like I said, it could weigh 20 pounds. They, Harley Davidson could have cracked the code yeah. on clear aluminum or whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> Star Trek. <laughs> Is that what that was? Translucent aluminum. Oh, yeah. I think is what it was. Transluminum. Don't know anything about it, but it sounds Trek good to me. Four, I believe. Ah, the one where they go back in time to San Francisco to get the humpback whale. Oh yeah, yeah. I love that one. Um, uh, one one thing, one final thought. Something to keep in our thoughts. Brad Baker uh, had a yeah. really bad crash at the X Games in Minneapolis uh, about a week ago. Did not sever his spinal cord, but damaged, damaged it in that it. way that. 
it you know may or may not come back with with full. I think he can move his arms. He's uh, yes. at this stage. Uh, it's paralyzed from, I would assume, the waist down. I don't, yeah, it's I the waist seen. down. It's the three of his thoracic vertebrae. Um, they're calling it temporary paralysis. He's going to have to do a lot of uh, physical therapy. They're talking as if the the possibility of him regaining, you know, a hundred percent recovery is there, which is but really I think rare. And I think he's going to have thing. to do the time and do the work, and you know, we'll see how it goes. But definitely a scary situation. Um, so, you know, we're keeping good thoughts for him. Yeah, for sure. Bullet one strong. Of, one of the raddest racers in motorcycling, period. I just saw the video today that him him moving. I don't know if he's moving cross country, but it looks like he's getting out of Minneapolis because that's where he was. Yeah. And he might be. He was getting put into another thing to move somewhere else. So hopefully it might be going home. Who knows? Last I heard was he was going to go see kind of the American expert on this type of spinal ah, cord injury. And I okay. don't know where that is. Good good luck to him in every way, shape, or form. Yeah. He'll be kicking kickstands in no time. I yeah, hope. right on. Yeah, that's one thing we didn't talk about is all the kickstands, all those Harley kickstands. You know, they don't fuck up kickstands. I, I mean, we didn't see any sort of kickstand innovation from them. No. That's what really worries me. Right. That's need, what... What is That's the, the untold story? What here. is the the kickstand we kept talking about that uh, telescopes out? We had a quick name. Stand. The quick stand, yeah. <laughs> Pew. <laughs> All right, Harley, get your shit together. Quick stand. Quick time. stand. Quick stands up. <laughs> quick stands up. Later. Good talk. See you out there. <laughs>